Well, thank you, Ben. That was great. That song was dropped on Ben on Friday, I think. I don't think he'd ever sung it before, so he did a fantastic job. And uh, I was the one who dropped it on him. So you can blame me. There's some great truth in that song. Um, Really catchy. That was then, this is now. And that is the title of our sermon this morning. Now, if you're expecting Pastor John to be here, you might have already picked up that he's had a grandchild. Well, he hasn't had a grandchild, but you know what I mean. Um, His daughter-in-law, Shannon, and her husband, Stephen, uh, have produced a baby on Thursday, unexpectedly early. Wasn't expected, but um, I don't have a name yet. Uh, A little girl. And I'm told that mother and baby are doing well. So that's great. And so that's why they're not here. Um, They're with family, and it's good and right that they are, I'm sure. So um, that's where Pastor John and Lynn and Sherry are. Um, We prayed for Jeffrey Liu just now. Please continue to pray for him. He has an operation coming up on Wednesday. He's feeling better, and he really wants to say thank you to the church for prayers and support, but he does have an important operation coming up this Wednesday. So please continue to pray for him. Some of you will have seen the, the prayer request during the week for little Emily, uh, Don Linda Hedden's granddaughter. Um, she's now doing okay. They're doing tests to try to find out what the problem is, some sort of neurological issue, they think, but they're not sure. So please continue to pray for her. Have I got that right? Yes, sir. There you are. Yes, right. Sir. Okay, so please continue to pray for little Emily, six-year-old Emily. Great, okay. So if you're in the two years through the Bible, you're on page 414, but you may be lagging behind. That's okay. If you're, if you're struggling to catch up, to keep up, don't give up. Um, if Pastor John's not here, I can say this. Just skip over a few pages. <laughs> Just do that anyway. Uh, If he's listening to the podcast, I'll be in trouble. So just skip over a few pages and try to catch up. Do you realize that we're over a quarter of the way through? We started in January. It's now July, end of June, six months. That's a big proportion of the Bible that you've already got under your belt or you've skipped over or whatever. (laughs) So keep going. We're a quarter of the way there. Fantastic. Um, So... If you're anywhere like keeping up, you've been through some judges and Gideon, and we've heard about Gideon and and Deborah, and we've heard about Deborah and and some of the others. And then Samuel comes along, a ray of light. And then Saul comes along. Well, he starts off okay, but he proves not to be the best king. But then David comes along and starts killing Goliath and starts serving Saul. And then Saul starts getting jealous because the people are thinking, oh, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul says, did you hear that? I'm out of favor. He's got ten thousand and I've only got a thousand. And a jealousy crept into Saul and a hatred and an envy. And he wanted David killed. And that's about where we are, I guess, if you're up to date. And so things have not been going too well for the Israelites. But then Jonathan comes along, Saul's son, and befriends David, and that is a real support. 
But during this time, backing up a little bit to just before Samuel, when there were the judges, time and time again you might have noticed this expression. During, uh, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did as they saw fit. There was no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Which, if you got good leadership, is fine. And the people will rally around and they worship Jehovah and, and be faithful to him. But then things would change and another judge, another more leadership would come along that doesn't acknowledge God. And they start running off Baal, off Baal and Ashtaroth. And they, they get away from the Lord and things start going downhill. It's a pretty sorry tale of ups and downs, more downs than ups. And so they get to a place of chaos and ungodliness and anarchy and evil. The people didn't follow God's laws. There were no real clear leadership standards. Disintegration of family, disintegration of society, false religion, war, disunity, defeat, chaos. Sounds a bit like today in some ways because society has rejected standards, objective standards. Now what's the point of reading all this doom and gloom? What's the point on functioning on on focusing on how dysfunctional the people were? Well, I want to read a few verses from Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, and I'm just going to read the first seven verses. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything, this is the key verse I want us to focus on, everything that was written in the past, including the judges and all this stuff, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. That's quite a lot in that. But that key verse in the middle, all the stuff that we read from the Old Testament is to encourage and to teach us. What can we get from it? Well, the first thing is that we have to ask ourselves is, are we teachable? Are we open to hear truth? Are we open to learn? Or have we got to the point where we feel we've arrived, we've We've, we made it and we don't need to learn anymore because we've been reading the Bible for 50, 60, 70, 80 or 20 or however many years and we know it all, thank you. Are we teachable? Let's keep flexible, let's be alert, let's be aware that we all need to learn. I remember, sadly, when I, uh, when I was in the UK, I was working in a church in a city in the UK uh, and I was talking to a senior pastor, and he was 60-something, which is not that old. And uh, we were discussing things and church life and new things and change and 
people who want change and people who don't want change. I mean, we don't have anything like that here. Um, and he said, oh, I'm too old to change. I'm too old to change. And I thought, ooh, that's sad. That's sad. Never be too old to change. Never be too young to think that we still need to learn. We all need to learn whether we're young or old. So that was then. That was then. This story that we've read in Judges and right up to that. And then the story of the ups and downs of the people. The people's faithfulness and obedience determined their security and their prosperity. When they were faithful to to Yahweh, to Jehovah, things would go well for them as a nation. They would be able to see off enemies. They would be established. Their crops would grow. Things would go well and they would prosper. It was a very outward, visible thing. Under the old covenant, blessing and judgment, they were external, visible, physical, here and now, immediate. The laws, we've been through the Ten Commandments recently and all the other stuff associated with that, the laws dealt with external behavior and acts. Don't do this, don't do the other, do this, don't do that. We've just been through all those. God's reactions and God's view of those things were clear to see because when the people forsook God, things went downhill for them as a nation. Blessing was withdrawn And in a sense, God's judgment rested on his people and they had a tough time. That was then. Now you can see why I asked to sing this song. This is now. What is different now? Well, whether things go well or not for us individually is not necessarily a gauge of God's blessing or otherwise. It might be, but not necessarily. Things tend to be inner, spiritual, Invisible, but nonetheless real. God's law is not just an external thing written on a stone, but where does it say the law of God is to be written? In our hearts. Then it was out there. Look, there's these two tablets of stone. There are the laws. Obey them. And the people say, oh, I'll do my best. Now we have been renewed. This is now... The law of God, when we become Christians, is written not just out there for us to look and obey, but in our hearts. So it's not so much I've got to or I have to, but I want to. He changes our hearts. Yes, there will be a judgment and an accounting, but at a time of God's choosing. So now things are less, less, in a sense, less easy to discern. Now, I'm not a computer geek, I use a computer, but I'm not an expert at computers. But maybe we can see some parallels here. When things go wrong with our computer, I don't know about you, but I tend to sort of go and I, well, I look at the temporary internet files and I delete them and cookies, get rid of them maybe. Um, Do a clean up of the disk, whatever that means. Do a defrag of the disk, whatever that means. Don't do a virus check, make sure things are okay. How many apps have I got running? What can I delete? What don't I need? What can speed things up a bit? And I try to apply external solutions that may help, usually to some extent, possibly temporarily. But then things will begin to slide downhill again and everything seems to get gummed up and freezes and slows to a halt. And there's something not right. Because sometimes what we really need is not just deleting off a few files and and so forth and doing a defrag, but actually 
we need some new stuff inside. We need a new motherboard. I don't really know what a motherboard is, but I understand a computer has one. It's, and it's fairly crucial to the working of the thing, so we probably need a new one. Maybe we need some new hardware. Well, the motherboard is hardware, I think. We need a complete reboot. Maybe we need to start afresh with a new SSD hard drive. Solid state drive, I know that. <laughs> Rather than the whizzy round and round and round one that's got things that actually move. We need a harder, a faster processor. We need more memory. We need the latest operating system. In other words, we don't just tinker around at the edges, but we actually look at the heart of the thing and try to give it a new heart. A complete internal change. We deal with the heart of the issue, not the peripherals. This is now. Jesus has dealt with the heart of the matter, not just the peripherals. Because this, you see, is a bit like the difference between the old, that was then, and the new, this is now. The old looks at symptoms, the new deals with causes. The old looks at symptoms, the new deals with causes. And that's one of the things that differs between us and the Old Testament. So what can we learn from the old? Well, we've just read it in Romans 15, verse 4. We can learn endurance. Now, that's not a popular quality these days because everything's got to be instant now. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I can't wait 10 seconds. I've got to have it now. So endurance, which is all to do with pressing through and persevering and being in it for the long haul rather than the short sprint, is something we can learn because we need to learn it's not a popular quality these days. Endurance is one of the things that we can learn from the Old Testament. When people endured being faithful to God, everything was okay. When they didn't, when they fell away, everything fell away. But then we can learn encouragement. We can learn encouragement because there was always hope. There was always hope. Despite whatever happened to the people, despite how much stuff went wrong, despite how much things went downhill, there was always a positive future for those who would turn to God. There is always hope. There is always redemption. God is not a God of condemnation. He is a God of redemption. If the people would follow, there would be hope, not despair. Redemption is always available. But this was written by Paul hundreds of years later. Paul the Apostle writing to Christians in Rome. And he, of course, is ministering under the new covenant. The Romans Christians are Christians. They're under the new. This is now. Not that was then. So he gets personal. And he says, well, actually all this stuff about learning from the Old Testament, it's not just dry theological theology. Um, It's not just theory. Your attitudes need to change, Paul says. Now, why did he mention this? Because he says in um, verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. He makes it very practical. He makes it very personal. Yes, We can look at the Old Testament and say, oh, well, they didn't do a very good job. Look how they kept messing up. Uh, Of course, we have Jesus, so we do better. Uh -uh. We're no better. But he says there's an attitude of mind that you need to foster here. He gets personal. 
Now, why did he write that? Did he know the Romans? Well, he may not have seen them, but he knew what was going on. Maybe they had problems with attitudes in the church. Never have anything like that here. Our attitudes are all 100% spot on, I know. But here, you know, things are a bit tricky. There was an attitude problem. Why would he write it if there wasn't an, adre- an issue he was seeking to address? Whether that's the case or not, obviously learning from the Old Testament and carrying that over into our attitudes as, you know, under the New Covenant is something very important, as Paul, as Paul states. And he says, well, you should have the same attitude towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that in one mind and one voice you can glorify God. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. How would you describe Jesus' attitude to you? What is Jesus' attitude to you? Shout out a few words. My hearing is rubbish. Yeah, keep it coming. Loving. Giving, forgiving, sacrificing. sacrificing. Yeah, we wouldn't be shouting out words like harsh, condemnatory, putting down, criticizing, abusing. We wouldn't be shouting out those words, would we? The attitude of Jesus is very positive and loving and forgiving and gracious. And how does Jesus accept you? Does he accept us begrudgingly, reluctantly, conditionally, out of obligation because somebody says so? Is it half-hearted? Uh-uh. His acceptance of us is unconditional when we put our faith in him. It is loving. It is gracious. It is certain, not because we've done well enough, but because that's his promise to us. It is something we can count on. So the attitude of Jesus to us is really positive. The way that Jesus accepts us is full of grace. So how do we regard that other church member who somehow managed to ruffle our feathers? Do you have that expression here? Ruffling feathers? Get off. How do we regard that person? What's our attitude? Bearing in mind the, the attitude of Jesus to us. What are you going to do about those critical comments that you make about people to their face or behind their back? I'm not saying that we all do that, but I'm think, giving examples of attitude. I'm sure we don't gossip here. No? Yeah? Well, hope not. How do we respond to someone who is very different from you? What are the implications of aiming to please others and not oneself? What are the implications of that for you and for me? Well, look for a moment at how Jesus responded to different people, to outsiders. How did Jesus respond to the Samaritan woman that he met at the well? She was an outcast. He knew she'd had five husbands and was now living with a guy who was not her husband. She'd got a colourful background. Did he wag his finger and tell her off and condemn her, tell her to, 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 to sort her life out? No. He talked about who he was, the Messiah. He revealed himself to her as a Messiah directly when he hadn't even said that to the Jews. To this Samaritan woman, Samaritan, wrong race, woman, wrong gender in those days. And yet Jesus took time with this outsider. The same with Mary Magdalene, who, who was devoted to him, 
a colourful past. He did not criticise, he did not condemn, he accepted her worship. The same with Zacchaeus, the guy who was collaborating with the enemy. He was, collect- he was a Jew, but he was collecting taxes on behalf of the Romans. We don't like paying taxes to anybody, especially not a foreign invasion, invading power, and Zacchaeus was working for them. He wasn't particularly popular amongst the Jews. What did Jesus say to him? Quit your job. Stop being a collaborator with the end. No, he said, okay, Zacchaeus, where do you live? I'm coming to see you today. He knew his heart. Jesus ministered to outsiders, to people who others would have no time for. Jesus had time for them. What were Jesus' strongest words? Who were Jesus' strongest words reserved for? The religious leaders, the people who should know better. So what is our attitude to people who are different from us? Quite demanding, isn't it? Because we, under the old, we say, yeah, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. Um, Tick, 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 tick. Yeah, I think I'm getting okay. Okay, I'm fine. But under the new, Jesus says, okay, what about your attitude? It's not just external. What about what's in your heart? You could outwardly obey all the rules, if you like, but your heart could be a million miles away. And Jesus is concerned about our hearts. So it's quite demanding living under the new compared with the old. We can't get away with poor attitudes. If we're talking about glorifying God, then this is what it comes down to, how we relate to one another. If we cannot accept one another, how can we hope to reach others? Now, Uh, I like cars. You might have picked that up by now. I belong to a couple of car clubs, or more than two, but I have a car called a TVR. I've probably said this before, and you've never heard of a car called a TVR. It's a British sports car. Think Corvette, Dodge Viper. If that means nothing to you, then don't worry about it. But I like old cars, and I belong to a British TVR club, and I belong to an American TVR club. I have a club mentality. I pay my dues. I get magazine. What else do I do for the club? Nothing. It's for me. It's my interest. I've never even been to any club meets. As long as I pay my dues every year, I'm in. The magazine comes through the door every month or every couple of months, and I enjoy reading all about TVRs, and I tinker around with my own TVR and try and fix it, and if I can't fix it, I get Brian to fix it for me. Um, And... uh, It's my hobby. I belong to a club. I have a club mentality. I join it for what I get because I'm interested. But I'm very passive as far as the club is concerned. I don't do anything. What about church? It's very easy for church to become a religious club. Pay my dues. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here comes the collection plate or straight through the bank. But it makes me feel good. That's why I come to church. I consider that I give them a nod to God and I keep him happy. But please don't ask me to do anything. And please don't ask me to talk to people I don't know. Please don't give me a challenge. That's uncomfortable. I don't like that. This is the way I'm used to things around here. And this is how I want them to stay. Thank you. Do we actually want to reach out or do we just want to keep our club going to keep us, un- keep us happy and comfortable? I'm not saying the church is a club. I'm saying that it is easy for any one of us 
to slip towards that, ment- that mentality without realizing it. Do we want to reach others or do we just want the, st- the comfortable status quo? Put it this way. Consider your involvement with the church. What you do, you're here. What else you do, maybe you give some money. You may be involved in some way. If everybody was involved with the church, this church, to the extent that you are, if everybody else was involved to the extent you are, would the church run? Would we still have the food pantry? Would we still have the kids' stuff? Would we still have communion put out for us? Would we still have ushers? Would we still have greeters on the door? Would we still have uh, leaders of different, different of, of harmony helpers? Would we still be able to do the things that we do if everybody was involved to the extent that you are? And some of you are saying, yeah, if everybody was involved like I am, oh, the whole place would be swinging. But quite often we get statistics that are a bit worrying that says that not just this church, but in the church generally, that 80% of the stuff is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the stuff is done by 20% of the people. Now, I'm not saying this to bang anybody over the head or bring condemnation, but just to bring a gentle challenge. How are you in terms of reaching out to other people and being involved in ministry? What is your role in the church? Now, I don't want to give you the impression that being a Christian is just about what I do at church. That is only a tiny part. Today is a fantastic day, and I'll tell you why. In Britain, it is a day of the British Formula One Grand Prix. Oh, he's on cars again. Oh, I don't know anything about anything else. I've got to talk about cars. It's the British Formula One Grand Prix. It's 11 o'clock here, which means it's 4 o'clock over there. It's finished. Somebody's won. If you've, been, if you've been watching it, please don't tell me who won. I don't want to know. I should try and watch it this afternoon. Now, during a Grand Prix, okay, and, you know, Formula One is great. You have NASCAR and Indy. Yeah, they're not so good. I mean, NASCAR, you just see cars going round and round. <laughs> I really don't know what people say. Anyway, I mustn't criticize American because I'm a visitor. Okay, it's still cars. But during car races, you have pit stops. The pit stop is not the thing. The race is the thing. Church is a pit stop. It's not the race. The race is what we do for the rest of the week. Church is the pit stop where we get our tires changed, where we get the amount of down, downdraft, the, the, the thrust adjusted, where we get some more gas, maybe, although they, don't, they can't do that in Formula One, no regassing. Um, then we get out into the race, which is mixing with people, which is doing our daily stuff to the glory of God. That's the race. Church is only the pit stop. So when people like me bang you over the head and say, you should do more in the church, you're not a very good Christian, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, yes, we want to grow together as Christians. Yes, we want to be involved as Christians. But it's all with a view to reaching out outside the church and living our lives in a crooked and perverse generation that has rejected our God and shining like stars before other people.
That's why the Bible talks about us being lights. So the race is the real thing, not the pit stop. Church is the pit stop. So if the church is just the pit stop, the rest of the time we are being the visible representation of the kingdom of God on earth. If someone wants to know about God, where do they go? They may come into a church. Who do they talk to? Christians. We are the visible representation of the kingdom of God, the church. There is no other. There is no other representation of the kingdom of God on earth apart from the church. The the church of Jesus Christ, the people who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, whatever pit we may come into on a Sunday morning, we are the church, the representation. The race is about living to the glory of God. So let's move on. Today we have communion. Now, I said earlier that sometimes our computer needs a complete and utter reboot. It needs a fresh start. Messing around deleting files and polishing up this doesn't do the trick. Today we have communion. Like our computer sometimes needs a complete renewal, a complete reboot, a complete fresh start, communion, if you like, is the ultimate reboot, reboot, the representation of what it means, the ultimate reboot. When we look at the Last Supper as recorded in Scripture, it doesn't look like a, cup, doesn't look like a club meeting to me. It looks like Jesus with his followers in the midst of trauma, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of argument, in the midst of betrayal, Jesus saying, I want to share this with you. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it. One of them was running out to betray him. The others were protesting that they would never betray him. Then they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. They really didn't get it. And yet Jesus persisted sharing his life with them. And what did Jesus do? Well, he took the Passover meal. The Passover meal, was that was then. And he gave it a new meaning. This is my body given for you. This is the blood of the new covenant. Whenever you do this, you proclaim my death, says Paul, the birth of Jesus till he comes again. And he's saying that was then. Deliverance from Egypt, deliverance from physical slavery. This is now. The bread, the wine, sacrifice, deliverance from the power of sin and death. Not physical slavery, but spiritual slavery. Freedom, removal of the power of sin, and entrance into life. Where are you living? Are you living back then, when you had to do religious stuff to keep God happy? Are you trying to appease God and hope that he won't hit you too hard if you're trying to avoid anyone who is not as righteous as you if you're just keeping up an outward show of respectability and correctness and righteousness but inside you know it's not like that that was then it's time to come into this is now because this is now means the grace of God extends to you and cleanses and forgives and restores. You don't have to go through religious observance. You are unconditionally accepted by Jesus. 
And so is that person who you find it very difficult to get on with. He or she is loved and accepted just as much as you and I are. We are all broken people. And that's the whole point. When we come to communion, it's the whole, because we are broken and we need what the bread and the wine represent. We need that sacrifice of Jesus. We need the shedding of his blood to forgive us. We need his restoring redemptive power in our lives because we can't make it on our own. And that's the this is now. That was then, is trying to do it myself. Trying to make up for what is wrong. This is now, is saying, I can't do it. Jesus, I need your help, please. That's the this is now. And the marvellous thing is, he says, yeah. Look at his hands. Look at his side. Look at his feet. Sacrifice for you. Because you're broken. Because you can't make it on your own. Jesus has made it for us. I am broken, I am fallen, I am lost, but Jesus has given me the ultimate reboot. And now I'm redeemed, forgiven, restored, and made whole, and set for glory. For glory. And meanwhile, I want to glorify him as much as I can in this life. This is now. Let me just read a few lines from that song. It's time... It's time to say goodbye to the old you now. So go ahead, put the past in the past, box it up like an old photograph. You don't have to go back, because that was then. And this is now. That's fantastic. We're going to celebrate that this is now. This is now a rose out of that was then. Please don't think I'm saying, oh, we don't need to worry about the Old Testament. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. We learn from it. But we live in the this is now. We live in the realm of grace because this is now. And God is full of grace. So what sort of a reboot do you need? What sort of a reboot do I need? Well, do you need to need that initial, ultimate reboot of giving your life to Jesus for the first time because you've never done that before? This is a good opportunity. Maybe this is a time to renew your commitment to Jesus that has perhaps grown cold or ground to a halt. Maybe it's a time to consciously say the past is the past it is dealt with, I'm not going to live live in it anymore. There may be consequences, but I'm not living in the past. I'm not living under condemnation. I'm not living under the that was then, because the blood of Jesus has covered it, and I want to live in the this is now. Maybe it's a depressed determination. Maybe it's to acknowledge afresh that there is hope for you with Jesus. There is hope for you, not despair. Maybe it's a challenge to change your attitude to others. Really to seek to accept one another like Jesus does. Or maybe it's a bit like getting off the spectator stand at the Grand Prix, getting in a car and starting driving on the track. Don't try this at home, it'd be dangerous. But you know what I mean. Becoming more actively committed to the body of Christ on earth. 
Whatever it is, this is a good time to make that commitment, that renewal between you and God. We're going to share the bread and the wine. The servers will bring the bread and the wine to you. Um, But before we do that, let's just pause and have a moment's quiet and a moment's prayer. Lord, this morning we want to thank you for your grace. We're not saved by our own efforts, but we are saved by your grace. We give you praise and we give you thanks. Lord, thank you that you haven't left us. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament and for the story of your people over hundreds of years. Lord, we don't claim to be any better than they are. But thank you that you have graciously reached down to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to sacrifice, that we might be forgiven, that we might be restored, that we might be able to leave the past behind, that we might not live in dead religion, but that we might live in the abundant life that you give us. Lord, help us each this morning to respond to your word and to move ahead, to move forwards, to grow in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if the servers could uh, come up, please. We should have five servers, I hope. Judy. Here we are, good. Great. That's fine. Um, Paul, familiar words from 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And we will do that. And he broke it and he said, This is my body given for you. This is my body given for you. This represents the life of Jesus, broken. For you and me, we are broken people in a different sense. The brokenness of Jesus means that we are made whole. Thank you, Jesus. This reminds us of your body, your death, your sacrifice, that we are made whole. We give you praise and thanks, and we take this in remembrance of you. We take it as a celebration. Lord, accept our thanks afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. As the bread comes to you, please eat it as soon as you receive it, and then we'll come back for the wine in a moment.
One of the things we sometimes do here in communion is pause and give a brief opportunity for anybody who just wants to say something about God's grace and God's power in their lives. A couple of sentences. So if there's anybody who wants to do that, now is your chance. Speak up so we can all hear. Just want to share a word or a sentence of testimony. God done anything good recently? planned <laughs> but, uh, anybody else yes Donna Thank you for Donna's dad's life. Thank you for that assurance that when he does leave, he's going to a better place. Be with Donna, Lord, and the family as they mourn his loss. And Father, will you be sovereign of his parting? And thank you for his homecoming, his homecoming that's due pretty soon now. Thank you for the hope that you've given Donna. Thank you for the hope that you've given his father, her father. And thank you that that hope is not misplaced. Amen. Anybody else? Yes, I'm going to share something. One, two, okay. Everybody knows that my husband has been away. Class and surgery for his kidney, and everything is fine, but then they found a certain type of cancer in the blood, and uh, it's spreading all over his chest, and that was about his last scan was three months ago. They did a scan last week, and they don't understand how everything is shrinking. So 
Okay. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Sabrina. So God does stuff in our lives. It brings about positive changes. Last chance. Going. Ed. I want to give praise. We welcome baby number eight on Tuesday. Everly Bonna is happy and welcomed by everybody and everything's perfect. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay. So we've shared together the bread. And now we come to share together the wine. The wine speaks of Jesus' blood. The shedding of blood speaks of death. The power of death. Jesus has been through death and he's conquered it and he's been through hell and he's risen up the other side. He's blasted the gates of hell off. And you and I will know life. We know life now. And one day, like Donna's father, we will go to be with him. And there will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sighing. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more loss. There will be no more grieving or mourning or pain. Because that's the sort of kingdom that Jesus is establishing. And that's the kingdom that you and I belong to. And when we take this wine, we proclaim that death not just the death, but the resurrection until he comes again. And when he comes again, when he comes again, we won't need any bread or wine to be symbols because we'll be seeing him. If the servers would like to come up again. And this time, if you can keep the cup, and then we will all drink together when we've all been served.
sit down, please do. So we take this wine and we proclaim together the Lord's death until he comes and we can declare together that there is a king. Let's drink together. There is a king. And Lord, by your grace, we are part of that kingdom. And we're so grateful for the life that you've given us. Thank you for the testimonies that we've heard of changed lives, of you dealing with our our hearts, our attitudes. Lord, may we just continue to live our lives before you and glorify your name. So thank you for this time this morning. Lord, as we go now, we pray that you'll bless each one of us. Help us to go to glorify you. Help us, Lord, to be living for you each day. And may your grace and your mercy and your peace be upon each one of us now and forevermore. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.